This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Chapter 44, page 650. In the previous chapter, 43, we learned of two types of love to Hashem. A great love, Ava Rabba, and Ava's Elam, a love that comes from the world, from meditating and reflecting how Hashem creates the world and sustains the world. The difference between the two, that the great love is a gift. It could only come from above. It's not humanly achievable. When a person has reached the highest level he can reach, and Hashem gives the person a gift, and the person is consumed with an ecstatic love for Hashem. That's the great love. Versus the love, avat oilam, a love that comes from the world, is a love that comes through our effort. From the bottom up, through our reflection and meditation, through our meditating, and the way Hashem creates the world, sustains the world, and we develop a love for Hashem. And now, each of the two grades of love, Ava Rabba and Ava Olam, is subdivided into limitless shades and gradations in each individual according to his spiritual capacity. There are many Bechinot and there are many Madregot. There are many Madregot are like rungs in a ladder, and Bechinot um, are like uh, categories. The difference is, madregot are like rungs in a ladder. It's the same ladder, but different rungs. Within the same ladder, you have different levels. Different pechinot are like different ladders, like different categories. So each of these loves has many, many, many different levels. Everyone according to his spiritual capacity. Because since this is a love that's based on a person's understanding, no two people think alike. We all think so differently, and we all feel so differently, and we all experience things so differently. So therefore, everyone's love is different. You can't compare one Jew's love to another Jew's love. When it comes to love, we're, we're different. Every Jew has their own level of love for Hashem. So even though Every Jew can, can achieve the level of Abat Olam, but it'll be a different level of love. 
Just like there are no two people who look alike, and no two people who think alike, and no two people who feel alike. So the love will fit according to the personality, the individuality. So each love will be different. You have many levels and many bechinot. Even the love of Avarab, which is a gift that comes from above. So that's a gift that comes from above. How can there be so many different levels of Avarab? Yes, but this gift is given to a person that has reached the maximum capacity according to their individual capacity. When Hashem sees that a person is doing 100% and a person has reached the lower level of love and then he reached the higher level of awe and he's reached the highest level that, that's humanly possible, then Hashem will give you a gift. So even that gift is tailored to the person based on your personality, individuality, your level of love that you've developed. And Hashem gives you a gift that surpasses anything that you can accomplish on your own and you're consumed with a, a love of ecstasy, a love of pure pleasure, pure bliss with Hashem. But even that love is based on given to the person, to the individual. So therefore, there are many variations to this love. And one love is not like the other love. There's, there's different degrees of love. Continue, as it is written. As it is written in the Holy Zohar, on the verse, her husband is known in the gates. That This refers to the Holy One, blessed be he. So called, since he is the husband of the congregation of Yisroel, who makes himself known and attaches himself to everyone according to the extent which one measures in one's heart. Thus, two individuals may have the same general level of love of Hashem, yet their particular individual levels of love will differ. So in the end of Proverbs, Shleimah Melech writes that Noida Basharim Baila that we're talking about the Eishas Chayil, the woman of valor. So at the end it says that her husband is known in the gates. So the Zayar says that this is a marshal, this is a parable, just like the whole Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs, by Shlomo Melech is a parable. Hashem talks about the love of the Jewish people and Hashem. Hashem is the groom, the Chatan, and the Jewish people are the bride. So too, the Eishas Chayil is also, Eishas Chayel refers to Knesset Israel, the Jewish people. Hashem is the husband. And that's what the verse means, that the husband is known by way of the gates. Meaning, that every Jew knows Hashem by way of a gate. Every Jew has a gate. And, and also gate, Sharim means gate, but Sharim also means Shiur according to the measure of the heart of each and every Jew. Because when you know Hashem, and you know Hashem, it, it's noida, you know it through knowledge. When you know Hashem, and it's only the knowledge that causes you to love Hashem. It causes you to want to connect with Hashem. So the Zohar says, Hashem is known, and then you're, you become attached to Hashem. Your heart, according to the measure of your heart. This is not just abstract knowledge. We're talking about, noida means Hashem becomes known to us. We become attached to Hashem. We feel a love to, towards Hashem. And noida 
means almost like, like Hashem allows himself to be known. Hashem allows himself, the husband allows himself to be known, allows the bride to know him through the gates and because it's tailor-made according to the individual. When a person will meditate and reflect according to the mind, according to his mind, the way he perceives things, and will develop, will attach himself and focus and concentrate and then feel, develop a feeling, an attachment to Hashem, a love to Hashem, a dveikut to Hashem. So Hashem allowed himself to be known, basha arim. The husband allowed himself to be known to us, Hashem allowed himself to be known to us, according to the measure of each individual person. Because it has to engage your individual mind and your individual heart, the way you think things, the way you perceive things, and the way you feel things. Every individual is different. Okay, continue. Therefore, Therefore, fear and love are called the sacred things known to the Lord our God. For people cannot know the varying degrees of love of Hashem harbored in the hearts of others. While the Torah and Mitzvah are those things which are revealed to us and to our children to do, they are found in all Jews equally. So the, the verse says, in the volume, Deuteronomy, the verse says, things that are hidden are to Hashem. And those that, the things that are revealed are for us to do. In other words, to love, love of Hashem, that's what he calls the hidden things, because it's in your heart, it's in your mind, it's inner. Your level of clarity, your level of comprehension, of perception, of sensitivity, your level of feeling, of emotion. These are all private things. No one knows what's going on in your heart, no one knows what's going on in your mind. These private things that only Hashem knows. And each Jew is different. No, you can't really know what's going on inside the heart of the other person because each one is so different. Each one is a universe apart, is a world apart. So every Jew is different. But when it comes to the revealed, which is the, the doing the Torah and the mitzvahs, when it comes to that, that's revealed. There is no difference. All Jews are the same. The Shulchan Aruch tells us clearly, this is how you light a Shabbos candle. This is how you put on tefillin. We all have the same code of Jewish law, from Moses to the simplest Jew. Every one of us has to put on the tefillin exactly this way. But when it comes to the things of the heart, there is no Shulchan Aruch. The code of law, Jewish law doesn't tell you exactly how to love Hashem, exactly how to perceive Hashem. Because everyone is different. It can't tell you how do you perceive How do you perceive things? And how do you feel things? Every one of us feel, feels things differently, perceives things differently, understands things, digests things, processes things differently, reacts differently, is sensitive to different things. Every one of us is different. No two people look alike. No two people think alike. No two people feel alike. So therefore, the, there, it can't be a single that says, this is the way you feel, and this is the way you... Everyone is different. But when it comes to the niglas, the things that are revealed, the action, the deed, the Torah, we have one law, one shulchanara for every Jew. Clear guidelines that's applicable to every Jew, from the greatest to the smallest. They conclude. For we all have one Torah and one law. Insofar as the fulfillment of all the Torah and Mitzvah in actual performance is concerned, 
All Jews perform mitzvah in the very same manner. The greatest Jew and the smallest both put on the same tefillin. It, it is otherwise with fear and love, which vary according to the knowledge of Hashem in the mind and heart. Here Jews are not equal. He whose knowledge of godliness is greater will experience the love and fear of Hashem to a greater degree than his less knowledgeable colleagues. And this is a very important part of a Jew's life, as we'll learn later, that every Jew has to develop a personal love, a personal relationship with Hashem. You can't just be like a cookie cutter, you know, well, we're all the same, we all conform. Every one of us is a universe, is a world. And Yiddishkeit has to engage us individually. Our personality, our character, our strengths, our sensitivities, things that inspire us, things that move us. Yiddishkeit, you have to, Yiddishkeit has to, you have to develop a personal relationship with Hashem. How does Hashem inspire me personally? How does engaging my mind, the way my mind ordinarily works, processes things, how do I develop an understanding, a clear understanding of godliness? How do I develop a love for godliness, an attraction to godliness, just like I'm attracted to things in life? How, how, how do I develop an attraction to God? This is a very personalized journey, a very individualized journey. It's between you and Hashem. What's hidden is between you and Hashem. It's very private. It's very intimate. It's very individual. It's tailor-made. You can't buy it off a rack. <laughs> this is not a suit you buy off a rack. Tefillin, you buy off a rack. This is the way tefillin have to be made. This is the right way to do it. And everyone wears the same pair of tefillin. You can, you can be more careful. You can do behidur. But the basic laws of tefillin are the same. Applicable to every. When it comes to matters of the heart, everyone is different. So it has to engage you. You can't follow someone else. You can't conform to anyone else. Are you personally inspired? Or you're just conforming? You're just doing what's expected of you. It has to touch you as an individual in your own unique way because you are unique. There never was anyone like you and there never will be. So Yiddish guy has to touch you in a unique way like he's never touched anyone before. Only you can answer that call. It's between you and Hashem. You can't hide behind anyone. You can't hide behind, you can't conform, you can't hide. Where are you? Where are you at? Are you engaged? Is your mind aware? Is it crystal clear to you? And if it's not crystal clear for you, what does it help you if it's crystal clear for someone else? I believe. It's tradition. My parents did it. It's good enough. The tzaddik is doing it. It's good enough for me. It's not good enough. Is it crystal clear in your mind? Have you crystallized it? Do you, does it inspire you personally and individually? Or are you just being carried by someone else's inspiration? So it has to be very, very personal and very individual. But when it comes, unlike when it comes to the action, when it comes to the action, we're all the same. 
And that's the interesting thing of Yiddishkeit. You can go around the room and everyone is keeping the exact same Torah mitzvah. And you can go around the room and ask 30 people, what does keeping Shabbat mean to you? Technically, we're all keeping the exact same Shabbat, following the exact code of Jewish law down to the level. And you're going to walk away with 30 different answers. Because what Shabbat means to you is not what it means to me. How it touches you, how it moves you, how it inspires you, which, what, how you're sensitive to it, how you react to it. This is something that's unique to every one of us. That's the beauty of Yiddishkeit. That Yiddishkeit is something, it's not just like a, a cookie cut. This is what Alter Rebbe explained till now. Now he's going to say, but there's a different level of love. There's a level of love which is equal to all Jews. Because we're Jewish, we're born with it. There's a level of love that we all share because we're Jewish. And this level has both advantages. It has the advantage of avat olam, and it has the advantage of avarab. The advantage of avas olam is that it's a love that comes from below, from within us, through effort. We have to work on it. We have to develop it. We have to cultivate it. But on the other hand, it also has the advantage of the great love, Avarabba, which is a gift from Hashem, because this love is essentially also a gift. It's an inheritance. We're born with it. You're born a billionaire. What did you do? Nothing. You're a baby. And your father was a billionaire. Your parents are billionaires. You automatically inherit the whole fortune, all the wealth. So you inherit this wealth. You inherit this love. You didn't have to work on it. You didn't have to lift a pinky. You were born to the right family and you inherited this love. This, this love. Automatic. So in a way it's a gift. But on the other hand, in order to evoke this love, in order to reveal this love, you have to work. You need your effort. Through meditating and reflecting and concentrating and focusing, you can evoke this love. So you have the best of both worlds. You have the advantage of the Avarava. It's a gift that comes from Hashem. It's an inheritance. You don't even have to work on it. You don't have to create that love. It's there. On the other hand, you also have the advantage that it's something that you have to work on it. You have to reveal it. So it has both advantages, but because this is an inheritance, every Jew inherits this love equally. It is like off the shelf, because everyone has it automatically and equally. Every Jew inherits this love. The same. It's part of the divine spark that we have within us. So we have this love. Unlike the love, unlike the two loves that we discussed earlier, which is tailor-made, to the personality, the individuality, and everyone is different, this love is, we're all equal. Because we all have the same love. It's inherent, it's innate, we're born with it, we inherit it. And it also has the advantage of something that we, it's like a gift from above, we, have, we don't have to create, invent this love, but it's also something that needs our effort in order to reveal this love. Uh, the author Rebbe now explained in the previous chapter that Ava Rabba cannot be attained alone, while Ava Solam can. 
He now goes on to explain that there is a manner of love of God which incorporates the quality of both Ava Rabba and Ava Solem. It has the qualities of the former since it comes from the above and exists in the soul of every Jew in the form of an inheritance from the patriarchs. However, in order for this love to be revealed, it is necessary for the individual to contemplate and comprehend godliness, as is the case with Ava Solem, which is revealed through man's service. Yet, there is one singular and unique love which incorporates something of all the distinctions and gradations of both Ava Rabba and Ava Solem, and is found equally in every Jewish soul as our inheritance from our patriarchs. And that is what the Zohar says on the verse, My soul, I desire you at night. The Zohar notes that the verse is grammatically anomalous. It should either say, My soul desires you, or alternatively, I desire you. Therefore, the Zohar explains that my soul refers to God, the soul of all beings. In effect, the Jews say to God, You are my soul, therefore I desire you. And, as the Zohar goes on to say... Okay, so, if it should have said, Nafshi, my soul, Ivsach, Ivsach desires you. Why does it say, Nafshi, my soul, Ivisicha, I desire you? It's a repetition. Nafshi already said, Nafshi, my soul, I. Nafshi, I, Ivsach desires you. Doesn't make sense, nafshi my I, Ivisicha I desire you. Why does it say I twice? Either it should have just said Ivisicha I desire you, or it should have said nafshi my soul or I Ivsach desire you. Why does it say nafshi Ivisicha I I desire you? Makes no sense. So the desire says that the correct interpretation of the verse in, in Isaiah means what he's referring to. Nafshi does not refer to my soul, I. Nafshi refers to Hashem. We're saying to Hashem, Nafshi, you are my soul. Ivisicha, I desire you because you are my soul. We're referring to Hashem as my soul. Nafshi is not my soul, I. I desire you. It's not a repetition. Nafshi refers to Hashem. Nafshi, Hashem, you are my soul. And therefore, Ivisicha, I desire you, because you are my soul. Just like a person desires his soul. What does a person love in life? What's a person looking for in life? What's, what's a person... A person desires, you want life, you want energy. Material itself, materialism alone, is no, it's not interesting. If you're a billionaire... But you had no passion, and you had, you had no interest in life, and everything was boring, and everything was, there was no entertainment, and no excitement, and no thrill, and no passion, and no fire, no... Materialism, per se, means nothing. A person is not looking for materialism, you're looking for soul, for energy. A person wants energy, a high-energy life, a quality life, energy life, passionate life, interesting People are always looking for constant entertainment, constant something interesting, something that can grab my interest. You're looking for something energy, not just material. Material per se. If you had all the creature comforts in the world, but there was no no energy, that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for your soul, for your life, for your vitality, the energy. 
that makes it all come alive, that makes it interesting. So just like physically, what's a person looking for in life? It's not the body, the material. The material itself is not interesting. You have people who have all the creature comforts in the world, but they're bored and they're boring. It has no interest. You want life, you want energy. So too, once you realize that Hashem is my soul, the soul of my soul, just like my body has a soul, my soul also has a soul. What's the source of the life? What's the soul of the soul? What's the source of energy? What's the energy of energy? What's the soul of energy? Hashem. So what am I looking for in life? I want energy. I want the source of life. How do I get energy? By connecting to the source of life. The more Torah I learn, the more mitzvahs I learn, I'm plugging in to the energy source. Then I have energy, I have vitality. I feel rejuvenated. That's what I want. That's what I'm passionate about. So then, once you realize nafshi, that Hashem is my soul, and just like naturally, a person is hungry for a soul. A person wants life. Not the body. The body is nothing. The body is a corpse. What's the body? It's life. You want to feel alive. You want energy. Now, so too with Hashem, once you realize that Hashem is the soul of my soul, Hashem is the source of the energy, the source of life, and that's what I want in life is energy, and Hashem is the ultimate source of energy, so what, what am I, so I'm going to plug into Hashem? How do you plug into Hashem? Every time you learn Torah, every time you do a mitzvah, you're plugging into the source of life, that's your soul, that's how you feel alive. So then it's a very powerful love. Then you love Hashem because Hashem is my soul. I want to feel alive. I don't want to be dead. I want to feel alive. Vibrant. Filled with vigor and vitality and energy. And life. So let me go to the source of life. That's why Hashem is called Mechaye HaChayim. He's the one who gives life to life. Just like the body, the soul gives life to the body, who gives life to the soul? Mechaye hachayim. Hashem is the life, the giver of life to life. He is the soul of life. He is the soul of the soul. So for, for a Jew, what is our life? What is my soul about? As a Jewish soul, what is my soul? What is my life about? The source of life. Hashem, divine. That's my life. That's my soul. That's my energy. That's my energy source. That's my generator. That's, what, that's the source. So if I plug into the source, the more alive I feel, the more Torah I learn, the more mitzvahs I do, the more acts of goodness and kindness, the more alive I feel, the more vibrant I feel, the more vigorous I feel, the more passionate I feel. I, feel, I come alive. I'm plugging in to the source. So a Jew can't wait to learn more Torah and to do more mitzvahs. Because then I feel alive. And if I don't learn Torah and mitzvahs, I feel dead. I may have other life, but if I'm not really alive, if I'm not truly connected to Hashem, I'm not really alive. It's like a body without a soul. It's like a corpse. I want to feel alive. So the, I can't get enough. The more Torah I learn, the more mitzvahs I have. 
So this comes from, from connecting to the source of life. One should love God with a love of the soul and the spirit as they are attached to the body and the body loves them. This is the interpretation of the verse, my soul I desire you, which means since you, God, are my true soul and life, therefore I desire you. That is to say, I long and yearn for you like a man who craves the life of his soul. And when he is weak and exhausted, he longs and yearns for his soul to revive him. The biggest pleasure a person has, the thing a person desires most, is life. But you don't appreciate it. You don't feel that desire. Because it's a constant pleasure. You take it for granted. When do you feel the urge and the power of that desire to be alive and the pleasure that being alive gives you when it's threatened, when it's taken away from you, when a person is threatened with, God forbid, when a person's life is at risk, when you're threatened with a potentially fatal illness, suddenly it hits home. Suddenly the power and the force, the will to live, and the pleasure it gives you to live, it's so intense, it's so powerful, it's more powerful than any other pleasure in the world. That's why they've done a study. People who struggled with addictions for years and couldn't get rid of their addictions. And when they found out that they were, they were critically ill, they had a potentially fatal illness, in one moment, their addiction was gone. People who, let's say, they were addicted to smoking, whatever it was, whatever, or drugs, or whatever, alcohol, and they couldn't, they couldn't stop. They couldn't stop drinking, couldn't stop smoking. For years, they tried and tried, nothing, no change. Then one day, they found out that they may be dying. They have an illness, maybe. Suddenly, in one split second, smoking, no, no, no more smoking, no more drinking, finished. What happened? What change? Very simple. Because the moment that their life is threatened, suddenly, the pleasure and the power of that will to live is so intense, it's so powerful, suddenly it comes to the surface. It comes to the conscious level. Smoking? A drink? Whatever pleasure it's going to give me, it's nothing. Insignificant in the comparison to the pleasure. I want to live. Whatever, I'm going to ruin my life. My life is so much more meaningful. It gives me so much more pleasure just to be alive. And we see there's nothing a person won't do to continue to, continue to live. From 1 to 10, it's the most important thing in the world. You'll undergo painful procedures. You'll bankrupt yourself. There's nothing a person won't do to be able to live. God forbid. If you had that choice, I want to live. Take away all my riches. Imagine a person in Park Avenue. And he had a choice to make. You want to live or you want to hold on to your riches? Take everything. Just let me live. What, what significance are all those riches if you're going to take my life away? I want to live. It's the deepest pleasure. It means more to us than anything. But you don't realize it until it's taken away from you. Until it's threatened. Because we take it for granted. Which explains why explains our lifestyle, why we live a life which is so unhealthy and 90% of the people, 90% of the time, actively lead unhealthy lives. We, yeah. we destroy ourselves, we damage ourselves. And being healthy is so important to us and being alive is so important to us. Why would we live an overstressed life? We don't eat properly. 
um, because because we're not in touch with it. It's it's we don't realize it. It's hidden. But then when it's fine, when it's taken away from us, suddenly it's revealed. So too, he says that a person doesn't always appreciate it. But when a person is weak, a person, then suddenly you want your life back. When you don't have that energy and that zeal and that zest, suddenly you yearn for that energy. Where's that energy? Where's that zest? Where's that zest for life? Where's that pleasure to life? I want to live. I want to feel alive. I want to be alive. I want to live intensely and meaningfully and passionately. So it's when it's taken away from you. That's when you realize. That's when it hits home. How much pleasure it gives you. How powerful it is. Likewise. Likewise, when he goes to sleep, at which time his life force is in a state of concealment for sleep is one sixtieth of death he longs and yearns for his soul to be restored to him when he awakens from his sleep so do i long and yearn to draw within me the infinite light of the blessed saint soul of the life of the true life through engaging in the study of torah when i awaken during the night from my sleep for the torah and the holy one blessed be he are one and the same so too when a person sleeps it's like a little death you're exhausted, fall asleep. You can't wait to wake up. You want to wake up. You want to come back alive. And then every day it's like a, a new lease on life, a new pleasure, a new lease on life. I woke up, a new day. I can live again. I can experience again. I'm alive. So then when you're asleep and it's taken away from you, then you appreciate the will to live and the power to live and the pleasure that it gives you to be alive and to be energetic and to be, feel energized. And so when it's taken away from you, that's when, that's when you appreciate it. So the same thing here, that's what, that's what it says in Isaiah. When does a Jew say, Nafshi, Hashem, you my soul, you are my soul, and therefore Yivisich, I desire you, Balayla, at night. At night, when it's taken away from you, when the life is taken away from you, in a time of spiritual darkness, or when it's taken away from you, then suddenly you feel the power and the desire to live. I need that life. I need to be rejuvenated. I need to be recharged. Therefore, you can't wait. You wake up early. You wake up in the middle of the night. You want to reconnect with Hashem. You can't wait to study Torah because you want, you need your soul. Just like a person needs a soul, he can, I need soul, I need, I need to feel alive. I need to eat, I need to, to, to feel alive. So you can't wait, you wake up, you can't even wait till the morning, you jump out of bed in the middle of the night. I need some Torah, I need some soul, I need some life. I need to plug in, to connect to my source, to my soul, to my life. And the more Torah I have, the more divine, the more godly I have, the more, the more alive I feel. Now he's going to say, he's going to explain why Balayla, why specifically the Zoya refers to the idea of waking up in the middle of the night. That a person who loves, who feels, has this love for Hashem. Because a Jew knows that Hashem is the soul of my soul. Just like the body has a soul. The life also has a life. 
The soul also has a soul. The source of the soul, which is the godliness, which is Hashem, the infinite, is the ultimate source of life, the ultimate source of the soul, of all of existence, but also the soul. And therefore, if you realize that Hashem is my soul, and therefore you love Hashem, just like the body, the person loves, you know, what do you love? What are you looking for in life? It's not the body. The body is a corpse. You're looking for that energy, for that soul, for that life. You want to feel alive. You want to feel vibrant. You want to feel vibrant. You want to feel alive. People will do anything to feel alive. So too, when you realize that what's the the source of life, the ultimate source of life, what's the life of life, the soul of the soul, is Hashem. So too, I yearn for that soul. I need the source. I need godliness. How do you have godliness? When you study Torah and you do a mitzvah. So you can't get enough. In order to feel alive, in order to feel energized, in order to feel vibrant and vigorous and passionate, and you need Hashem. You need godliness through Torah mitzvah. So this leads you to study Torah and do mitzvahs, but especially in the middle of the night. Waking up in the middle of the night. Why waking up in the middle of the night? Thus, the individual's love of God will encourage him in his Torah study since he realizes that this will enable him to draw down the infinite light light of the Ein Sof and become united with God. Just as creation is renewed continuously, his goodness renews each day continuously the work of the creation. Torah too should be viewed every day as is it were new. So, too, regarding the love and yearning for God brought about through the study of Torah, he should experience this just as one yearns and desires for the full restoration of his vitality. So the problem is, we said earlier that although the desire and the pleasure of being alive is the most powerful, the most intense pleasure we can possibly experience. But we don't feel it. We don't experience it. Because we live constantly. We take it for granted. We don't even stop to think about it. So much so that we're completely oblivious to it. So much so that we actively lead an unhealthy, unproductive life, even though the Torah says, (laughs) you have to protect your life, you have to protect your health. But we don't. Because we don't appreciate it. We don't realize how deep and how intense and how important it is for us to be healthy. We don't, we don't pay attention. So the problem is, you have the same problem here. Yes, it's true that Hashem is the soul of my soul and Hashem is the ultimate source of life. But since it's, it's constant, I don't feel it. You take it for granted. So, it's, so therefore, it's important for us to remember, A, how Hashem creates the world every moment. So therefore, we should always experience Creation being renewed. Don't take your existence for granted. A creation is always renewed, which explains why. As Hasidus explains, why did Hashem create the world in such a way that we have to go to sleep every day? Such a royal waste of time. Imagine, why, why, why a third of our life is spent sleeping? Horizontal. Horizontal position. Hashem could have made it that we should be up all the time. But Hashem gave us the ultimate gift. Because when we wake up, every day is a brand new day. It's new. If it was one long, if our life was one long continuation, 
it would, it would be boring. It wouldn't, we would not have that zeal, that zest, that freshness. Every day, it's a brand new day. So no matter what happened yesterday, you can start all over again. It's a new day of something to look forward to. Because there's a pleasure in something new. When something is new, it gives you a tremendous pleasure. You don't take it for granted. You don't take life for granted. Every day, it's a brand new day. We don't take it. You have a new zest of life. You get to experience it once again, the power and the desire to live, and to live a meaningful life, and a zestful life, and a, a vibrant life. So, this, so too, when a Jew reminds himself, Hashem creates the world, the fact that the sun rises every day and it's a brand new day, it's just a reminder of how Hashem is constantly creating the world each and every moment. So when you remember how Hashem creates the world each and every moment, so the learning of Torah will also be brand new. Like we say every morning, Hashem gives us the Torah today. It's a brand new Torah. Every day Hashem is giving us the Torah as if for the very first time. So I have a new zest for the Torah. It's not just, oh, the same old Torah. Oh, I'm just studying what I studied yesterday. No, that's why when, it, when in order to fulfill the mitzvah of studying Torah, it's not enough to repeat to relearn what you learned yesterday. Every day you have to learn something new. Because it's a brand new existence. You have to learn Torah with a new zeal, a new zest. Because when you, when you have that love, when you realize every day that you're alive, and you realize every day that Hashem is the source of your life, so you want to connect with a brand new connection. So you learn Torah with a new zest. It's like as if I'm connecting for the very first time because I'm being created now for the very first time. I'm being recreated. It's a brand new existence. It's a brand new day. And therefore, I need a new connection. Yesterday's connection is not enough. Miracle. What? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's not the right. You don't have. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. So just because you ate yesterday, you had a three-course dinner yesterday, and you had a great, today's a new day, I need a, need a brand new meal with a new, a new zest. So every day the studying of Torah, you have to approach every day the studying of Torah as if it's brand new, with a new zeal and zest and, and pleasure. And wow, this, this is Hashem is my life. Hashem is my source of life. Hashem is the life of my life. Hashem is the source of all life. I want to feel alive. I want energy. I need the source of energy. Hashem is the source of all energy. How do I get some of that energy, some of that precious energy? You know how? When you study Torah, when you do a mitzvah. So let me study Torah. I can't get enough of Torah. Let me, let me have some of that zest. And that's why he's going to explain. That's why it's not... The test is, how do I know if I'm studying Torah? Because Hashem is my soul, out of love. Because, not because of obligation, but because Hashem is my life. And just like a person wants life, I want life. And, this, and Hashem is my life, so I want Hashem. I want something godly. How do I get more life? By plugging into the Torah of life. How do I know that that's the motivation behind that I truly have this love? If you study Torah beyond your obligation. Not just to fulfill your obligation. Your required amount of studying Torah. But when you go beyond your obligation. Like it says in the Talmud, in the tractate of Yuma, it says that when a person comes after 120 years, one of the first questions we're asked in the heavenly court, we're all going to face and have to answer for ourselves, alone, individually and privately, 
the ultimate judge, we're going to stand in front of the heavenly court, one of the first questions that's asked, did you study Torah? Did you set aside time to study Torah? So it says that Hillel, the Tana Hillel, is going to cause all the poor people to be found guilty. In other words, they won't be able to use their poverty as an excuse. Well, I was too poor to study Torah. I had to make a living. I had to feed my family. I didn't have time. I didn't have any strength to study Torah. I say, look at Hillel. Were you poorer than Hillel? Hillel was so poor. <laughs> he, he, earned, he earned like one, one coin, half of it he would spend for his family, and the other half he would spend, pay admission to get into the, to the to base of Medrash to study Torah. One time he, he, was, he, he couldn't even he chop wood, and he couldn't even find, he couldn't even, he couldn't even make enough money to pay the tuition. So he climbed on the roof of the Beit HaMedrash and listened in from the, from the attic, from the window. And he was so absorbed in the Torah study, he didn't even realize it was snowing. It started snowing. And he was buried by the snow. And he froze. He would have frozen to death. But then they looked up. It was Shabbos and they saw it was dark. And they looked up. They saw a figure buried under the snow cover, covering the, the skylight. So they ran and they, they slept that Hillel and they revived him. You know, he was almost dead. They revived him. And of course, from that point in, they let him in without paying. But, and they said, it's Shabbos, but it's, 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 Hillel is worth it. It's, it's a desecrated Shabbos. Someone like Hillel. And so if someone's going to say, I'm poor, were you poorer than Hillel? Hillel had such a desire to study Torah, such a love, such a thirst to study Torah. He couldn't get enough, even though he couldn't afford. He, he, he desired to study Torah, so a person can, can't use that excuse. And then there was Abelazar ben Kharsim, who was extremely, extremely wealthy. He was a billionaire. Talmud describes how wealthy he was. And yet, he had his underlings run the business, and he sat and studied, he spent time studying Torah. So if someone is going to say, hey, I'm on the Forbes 400, I'm running multi-billion dollar businesses, you expect me to study Torah? I don't have the time, I don't have the mind for it. Really? Were you wealthier than Abelazar ben Kharsim? He was a billionaire. He had shekels. That was worth something. <laughs> Not dollars that are worthless. Are you wealthier than him? And yet he found time to study Torah. This is, this is what the Talmud says. Now, the Rebbe asked the question. It's very puzzling. What do you mean Hillel is going to cause the poor Jews to be, to be found guilty? And Abu Lazar ben Kharsim is going to cause the wealthy Jews to be found guilty. There's a code of Jewish law. Let's open the code of Jewish law. The code of Jewish law spells out your obligation in the laws of Talmud Torah. Who is obligated? Every Jew is obligated to study Torah in the morning and at night. There are some Jews that can fulfill the obligation by reading the Shema in the morning and reading the Shema at night. But they don't have the mind or they're too busy. Then there are Jews who do have the time and do have the ability. They have to study Torah in the morning. They have to study Torah during the day. And they have to study Torah at night. So there's a code of Jewish law. It's spelled out exactly who has to study what, how much you have to study. You don't need Hillel, and you don't need Rabbi Lazar Mancharsim. Let's take out the code of Jewish law, the, the heavenly court, and let's judge the person. Did you fulfill your obligation? Didn't you fulfill it? So the Rebbe explains, we're not talking about obligation. Of course, obligation, we have a code of Jewish law. The heavenly court will take out the code of Jewish law and show the person, did you fulfill your obligation or did you, did you not fulfill your obligation? 
What Hillel obligates the poor and Abulazim al-Khasim obligates the rich, we're talking about studying Torah beyond your obligation. A Jew should have such a hunger, such a thirst for studying Torah that he can't get enough of studying Torah. It's not a question of obligation. Because no matter how busy a person is, when something matters to you, you find the time. No matter how busy you are, oh, you found the time to read a paper, to follow the sports, that you found time. You were so busy. You're a billionaire. But you, you watched your favorite game. That you had time for. Things that matter to you, things that you care about, you find time. There's no excuse. It's not a question of obligation, not obligation. If when a Jew studies Torah, when you realize that Hashem is my soul, Hashem is my life, Hashem is my energy, Hashem is my vitality, Hashem is, then what do you mean? I, I can't live without, this is my life. It's not a question of obligation. Then I, mean, I thirst for Torah, I can't get enough. So that's the test. And that's why, what's the test that a person truly loves Hashem and learns Torah because he's motivated, because he feels that Hashem is my soul? Balayla, the Zohar says. When a Jew wakes up in the middle of the night, at least once in a while, or if he can't, at least wakes up before dawn, which is beyond obligation. Your obligation to study Torah begins when the sun shines, when the sun rises, with dawn. The sun comes out, it's a new day, you wake up, you have to serve Hashem, you're obligated to study Torah. You have no obligation to wake up before dawn. Certainly no obligation to wake up at midnight. What do you mean? It's the middle of the night. It's time for sleep. But when a Jew jumps out of bed in the middle of the night, where is this coming from? Balayla, where is this coming from? This is coming from because... It's not obligation. It's beyond obligation. I'm not learning Torah because of obligation. I'm learning Torah because Torah is my lifeline. I need energy. I need to feel alive. I need to feel vibrant. I need passion. I need, I need life. Torah is life. I can't get enough of it. I need it. So when I'm asleep, I'm horizontal in my bed, I have to jump out of bed in the middle of the night and study Torah for the rest of the night until dawn. This is a studying that comes from love. Love for this is not the type of Jew that needs the reminder to wake up in the morning that we discussed earlier, in the earlier chapters. When you wake up in the morning, you have to picture that Hashem is standing over your bed. If the king was standing over your bed, you would jump out of bed. That's, more, that's a Jew who doesn't have that love in his heart. But a Jew who has a love in his heart, he doesn't need any great meditation and reflection and, and think how if Hashem is standing over my bed, how can I continue to sleep? I have to jump out of bed. That's, a, that's out of fear, out of awe. Here it's love. I wake up in the morning. Hashem is my life. Let me jump out of bed and let me get some more life. Let me get some more energy. Let me plug in. Let me plug into the generator. Let me plug into the source of life, the source of my soul, the source of... I can't get enough of time. This is what motivated all these Jews who jump out of bed in the middle, tikkun chatzais, jump out of bed in the middle of the night, and after tikkun chatzais, they would st- spend the rest of the night studying Torah. This is a love for Hashem that we all have. So the Zohar says, out of love for the Holy One, blessed be He, a man should rise each night and exert himself in his service until the morning. This, then, is a love expressed in the phrase, My soul, I desire you. The innate love that a Jew feels when he re- realizes that God 
is his true soul and source of life, his love, as we reveal by pondering deeply and often how God is a source, source of all life, as will be explained later in, on in this chapter. So this love is different than the love we learned in the previous chapter, Avat Olam, the love that comes from the world. That comes from a realization that Hashem is the soul of the world. Just like the body has a soul, we are the microcosm. And what's true in the microcosm is also true in the macrocosm. Hashem is the soul of the world. And Hashem creates the world and animates all the world down to every detail. Because that love is more of a general love that you appreciate the preciousness of godliness. And therefore, it's a general um, feeling of appreciation towards godly things. But it's not necessarily a motivation to study Torah, to do mitzvahs. It's just a general, it lifts up a person because you have a general appreciation for godliness, for godly things, how Hashem creates the world, and Hashem sustains the world, and Hashem is the soul of the world, and the soul is primary, and the body is, is, is nullified to the soul. So therefore, you become attracted to godly things. Of course, if you're attracted to godly things, of course you'll also be attracted to study Torah and do mitzvahs, because when you study Torah and doing mitzvahs, those are divine and godly things. But it's more of a general sense of appreciation and, and, and appreciating the preciousness of godliness. But here we're talking about a much different type of love. We're talking about God is my soul. Just like my body has a soul, my soul has a soul. God is my soul. The divine, that's my energy. That's my life. And just like a person can get enough of life, you love life more than anything. It gives you more pleasure, more than anything in the world. You'll give up all the pleasures in the world just to be able to live. Because that's what you want. You want life. You want energy. If you're half asleep and you're half knocked out and you have no energy and no, no zest, life is not that, that's not the life that you want. You want to feel alive. You want a, a vibrant life, a passionate life, a meaningful life, an exciting life, a thrilling life. You want to feel alive. So too, once you realize that Hashem is, this, is the life of my life, Hashem is the soul of my soul, the source of life, I can't get enough of Hashem. And specifically, that drives me to specifically learn Torah. Because that's the life, that's the infinite, that's Hashem. Hashem and His Torah are one. The more Torah I have, the more energized I feel, the more alive I feel, the more vibrant I feel, the more rejuvenated I feel. And therefore, I can't, it's not a question of obligation. I just can't get enough of life. And therefore, I jump out of bed. I go way beyond the call of duty, way beyond my obligation. It's not a question of obligation. I just can't get enough of Torah. So when a Jew has this level of love, which really we inherit this love, because the Hashem is our life, the life of our life, the life of our soul. When we, we're born, we're, we, we inherit this love. But when a Jew evokes this love, when you feel that nafshi, Hashem is my soul, and evi sicha, because you are my soul, Hashem, you are my soul, therefore I desire you, then balayla, and I appreciate it at night, and then I jump out of bed at night, and then I, I uh, can't get enough of godliness, I can't get enough of Torah, and I can't get enough of mitzvahs. It said in the, in the book that, that to, to reach, let's say, that the, 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 the levels depending on the knowledge of Torah, 
But I thought that uh, depends on the on the knowledge of the person. But it could. I mean, we have stories of people that were tzaddikim and they weren't very knowledgeable, like Zusha of Anapoli, right? We, you know, he like cried to Hashem and Hashem came down and gave him the answer for the Toysos. Or Eliyahu Anavi came down, right? right? No. So how does that really work out over here? Is it to be... No, it doesn't mean knowledge of Torah. It says every individual, every individual, based on his mind and based on his heart, based on his level of understanding... His depth of understanding. The love is basically according to the gate, according to your individual gate, according to your individual personality, the way you understand things. The deeper the understanding, the deeper the love. You know, the deeper the... the but each one understands things, things differently. Um, you know, every one of us is, is different. Our personality is different. Our individuality is different. Our mind thinks differently. Our heart thinks differently. So everyone has their own gate to Hashem. So everyone has their own path to Hashem. That's what we say. Everyone has their own path to Hashem. Because everyone is so different. You know, we all think differently and we all experience things differently. And we all feel differently. Some people feel very deeply. Some people don't feel so deeply. Some people have very clarity. They just they see things very clearly. Some things are very clouded. They, they, they may be brilliant, but they don't have clarity. They, 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 you know, everyone, everyone's mind is wired differently. Everyone's heart is, is, therefore the heart is also different. So we're all different. We're all, we're not the same. No two people are alike. No two Jews are alike. So our approach to Hashem is also very, very individualized, very customized. And that's the beautiful thing of it. Everyone's love is different. Now, the, with regards to, you said, at one point we said that, um, that there is an, a love that is equal by all the Jews. Yes. Even Th- this by Moshe Rabbeinu. This love, I mean, this love that we're discussing is okay. inherited. The idea that Hashem, as a Jew, that a Jew knows that Hashem is my soul, that Hashem is the soul of my soul, or that godliness right. is my very soul. That's my life. You said you had to reveal that. that has you to have to reveal it. But so the, but the love itself, of course, of course. So doesn't that mean that he has a higher level of love? Of course. So how is it equal? Of course, but the love itself, you don't have to create that love. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That love is there. You have to reveal it. So that love is there. Every Jew has it equally. Every Jew has an error. We all know for a Jew, Hashem is my life. You know, this is a very, very, very essential point he's making here. The, the Judaism, it's not religion. Religion is something you add to your life. Icing on the cake. You have music in your life. It makes your life richer. It's an enrichment program. You want to enrich your life. You add some music. You add some poetry. Nice. That's religion. It adds some color to your life. It adds some quality to your life. It adds some depth to your life. Here we're saying it's not adding color, quality, depth. This is my life. Torah is my life, Judaism is my life, Hashem is my life. It's life to me. As Rabbi Yekusil Lepler, who was a Chabad Chassid, who actually talked about a very simple, he had a very simple mind. And he couldn't understand Chassidus, especially the deep parts of Chassidus. And it bothered him, bothered him tremendously. 
And um, at one point, he came to the came to the Alter Rebbe, <coughs> and he, he told the Alter Rebbe, Rebbe, hack me up the Linkazite, cut out my left side. It means the evil inclination is on the left side. The ego prevails on the left side, the left heart, as we learned in chapter 9. He says, I can't, I can't, I can't deal with it. Al Rebbe gave him a bracha. And he said, It says, Hashem gives life to everyone. Give life to him also. And he blessed him with long life. And Rabbi Kefil answered Al Rebbe, he said, on one condition. Don't give me puyr shayyadim. Don't give me peasant years. Like hick. I shouldn't be like a hick. That, I, should, that I, I have eyes and I can't see godliness. I should have ears, but I don't sense godliness. So the Rebbe asked, the Rebbe is giving you a bracha. He's giving you a blessing. He's giving you a blessing for long life. Don't look uh, a gift. Gift horse, in, <laughs> a gift the horse in the mouth. You're getting a blessing. Now you can ask for a second blessing. You got one blessing. The going is good. The kid Rebbe, now please do me a favor. Bless me also that my years should also be meaningful. I should have meaningful life. Not just a life, a long life. I want my life to be, I should be able to see godliness, to appreciate godliness, to feel godliness. Why is he telling Rebbe, I'm only accepting your blessing on one condition? Rebbe says because for a Jew, if I'm going to have peasant years, I'm going to live like a hick. Eyes that don't see godliness, ears that don't sense and don't hear. Then that's not a life. You haven't blessed me. That's not a life. Because for a Jew, Judaism is my life. It's not something that I do. Religion is something that you do. It's compartmentalized. It's an activity. Okay, now we're going to do this. I'm going to take care of my religious obligation. It's an activity that you do. It could be an activity that you love doing and you enjoy, but it's a part of my life. It's compartmentalized. Once you realize that Hashem is my soul, life is not compartmentalized. Every part of you is alive. Every cell in your body is alive. The life encompasses every aspect of your life. It's not compartmentalized. Once you realize that Hashem is my life, then godliness and Torah permeates every aspect of my life. There's nothing in my life that I don't look first into Torah. How am I going to do business? How am I going to live my married life? How am I going to create this? My, how am I going to... Whatever I do in life, everything is in the Torah. There's nothing in my life that's not permeated. And the Torah illuminates and guides me and directs me and teaches me and shows me how to live every aspect of life from tying my shoelace. There's nothing in life that's not covered by Torah. Because it can't, because Torah is life. Once you realize Hashem is my life, life is everything. Life is not just a compartment. Life is not religion. It's not spirituality or religion or mysticism. This is life. And therefore, once Hashem is your life, where do you see this? When you see how they, they jumped out of bed in the middle of the night to study Torah. This is not religion, obligation, meditation, spirituality. This is life. I can't get enough of life. I need life. Without life, I'm dead. 
So Rabbi Kassil tells the Alter Rebbe, don't give me blessings. This is a blessing. If I live a life like a hick, eyes that don't see and ears that don't hear, that's not a life. Hashem is my life. But this is something that's inherited. Every Jew knows this instinctively, innately. But it's buried, it's submerged, we don't feel it. It's up to us to reveal it. Once you reveal this love and you feel that Hashem is my life, then you come alive as a Jew. How then you, you study Torah because... How do you reveal this love? By reflecting. I was going to say, by reflecting on it and meditating and realizing Hashem is the life of life and Hashem is the source of all life and Hashem is the source... Because Hashem is not spiritual. Hashem creates the spiritual just like He creates the material. Energy is not divine. Just like Hashem creates the material, Hashem also creates the energy and spiritual. You want to go to the source. So Hashem is not spiritual? He's both. Hashem is not spiritual. Hashem is neither spiritual nor physical. That's the mistake of all religions and all, all the mystical groups that they, they confuse spirituality with the divine. Hashem, Hashem is infinite. Hashem is undefined. Hashem is neither physical nor is neither spiritual. Hashem is neither infinite nor is finite. Hashem is beyond any description, any definition. So just like you, you understand that the body needs a soul, needs energy, the soul, energy also needs a soul. This energy on its own is also nothing. Energy is plugged into the source, Hashem. So therefore, I want Hashem. Just like the body is hungry, the person is hungry for the energy, for the soul, so too the soul is hungry for its energy, its source, which is divine, godly, which is Torah mitzvah. Not religion, not meditation, not reflection. Torah mitzvah. Another page of Talmud, another, another page of the Code of Jewish Law, another studying of Torah. A Jew can't get enough of this. So this is the test, whether a Jew really gets it, that being Jewish, Jewish, Judaism, it's not, you can't compartmentalize it. It's not something that could be labeled or packaged or limited or compartmentalized. There are many Jews who, in their private life, I'm a Jew. But in my public life, the Torah has nothing to do with my public life. What do you mean? Judaism, Torah is life. Hashem is your life. If Hashem is your life, it has to permeate every aspect of your life, public or private. There isn't a single aspect of your life that's not illuminated and uh, permeated by godliness, by Torah. Torah is my life. Hashem is my life. And I can't get enough of it. It's not a question of obligation, not obligation. This is my life. And I feel alive. When I study Torah, I come alive. I don't study Torah. A day goes by, I don't study Torah. I feel weak. Like a day goes by, I don't eat. I feel weak. I feel, I don't feel alive. Something, something, something is missing. Something is extinguished inside of me. I feel dead inside. I don't feel alive. I, want, I don't feel energized. Whatever my activities may be, but if it's not permeated, if it's not connected to Torah, if it's not connected with Hashem, I feel empty, hollow, and shallow. I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't done anything wrong. I even followed all my obligations. I feel empty, hollow, and shallow inside. I don't feel alive. I want that energy. I want that passion. I want that life. I want to feel rejuvenated. That's only if you plug in to Hashem, who is the source of life. The life of life. The life of my soul. This is what the Zohar is talking about. It's a different level of love than we discussed earlier in chapter 
43. One last question. You mentioned that people used to wake up at night for Tikkun Chatzos. You mentioned that. You, is that practical nowadays? I mean, is it because, uh, I mean, a lot of times, you know, like people would have yet to hard to learn at night and then they won't wake up the next day to do whatever they want to need to no, do. No, if, if you're not going to wake up, you're not, first of all, you're not allowed to. And we are very weak. And if it's going to interfere with you being up in the morning, then of course you're not allowed to. They would wake up and stay up. And nowadays it's not recommended to do that. I don't know. Uh, even then it wasn't something that, not that the shul was packed at midnight. Um, it was always individuals, but of course it was more prevalent then. You can't put it on a material, a material level. If you would stay up all night, you would have double energy the next day. If, if the purpose of, stay, of being up was for what these people did, then you would have, they had double energy the next day. It wasn't a question of well, the Alter Rebbe does say that ideally a person should wake up if he can. If he can't every night, it shouldn't be all or nothing, try it once. If you can't do that, he says at least once in a while, try to wake up before, at least try to wake up before dawn. You know, maybe it's, uh, you can try it once, go to sleep early and wake up early. Wake up early before dawn and learn. Don't forget dawn, dawn in the summer is like very late. Yeah. Dawn of the summer is like 6 o'clock, so wake up 5.30 in the morning, learn Taira, come to the Kailu, come to learn. So, you know, no, it's, this is not something that's, it's not for, it's not something that, uh, very, very, uh, right, for the average person. Very few individuals, those are on a very holy level. And the reason, the reason is given why also, why most people don't do Tikkun Chatzais today is because Tikkun Chatzais is when you cry and mourn for the destruction of the Besamegdash. You know, it says, when you cry, you try to empathize with the king. The king is crying, and you try to console him. You better make sure that those tears are not crocodile tears. Don't come to the king. You're not going to fool the king. Don't come to the king with crocodile tears. So today, how many people genuinely cry for the destruction of the temple? It really bothers them. They couldn't sleep at night. It wasn't an act. Oh, we have to wake up from midnight. Religious duty. They couldn't sleep at night. It bothered them that Hashem is in exile, that the Shekhin is in exile, that the world is so coarse, the world is so not in tune with its own inner core and essence, so out of touch. It bothered them that they literally couldn't sleep at night and they burst out crying. Of course, if a Jew cries genuinely, the gates of tears are never closed. Hashem is, Hashem is very moved by that. When a Jew cries for the destruction of the temple, if it's genuine. But don't come with Hashem with crocodile tears. <laughs> you, you, you want to fake the audience, you want to, you want to go to Hollywood, go to Hollywood. Don't, don't come to Tikkun Chatzayis with crocodile tears. And don't, don't try, and either it's real or it's not real. And let's be real. Is it real or is it not real? But with joy, Hashem is always open to joy. So our generation, the emphasis is more on joy. Serve Hashem with joy. Dance, sing, be joyful. Be proud that you're Jewish. Serve Hashem with energy, with passion, with zeal. That's always good. And Hashem always smiles. You know, it says if you cry, you cry alone. If you dance, everyone dances with you. Joy, joy works all times, all places. Crying has to be 100% genuine. And therefore, you know, either it is or it isn't. You know, there's no, there's no faking it.
So I guess if you can't fight for a material thing, I guess even less for a spiritual thing. You know, uh, we talk about Judaism like it's like all Jews, but until I was exposed to Chabad, Judaism without Hasidus is like having a a safe with millions of dollars in it and there's no no key and no... Uh... What's sadder is that much of the time the mitzvot are done almost begrudgingly. Oh, another burden. Yeah, oh, yeah, another obligation. Because there's no Hasidus. There's no... The Jew has no knowledge of what what you're talking about until the That's why we have to study the Tanya. Alter Rebbe says he did not write the Tanya for a group of Jews, for the Lubavitcher Hasidim. He didn't start the Chabad movement for a group of Jews. He meant the Tanya to be studied by every Jew in the world. And the Rebbe actualized the vision of Alter Rebbe. The Rebbe published over 5,000 Tanyas, literally in every corner of the world, because he wanted every single Jew in the world to study Tanya, and to study Tanya printed in their community, in their own homegrown community. So eventually and ultimately, the idea is that every Jew should study the Tanya because this would make them come alive as Jews. This would make them open the safe. Then suddenly it comes alive. Then suddenly you, you want it, you love it, you can't get enough of it. It becomes a joyful <coughs> part of your life. Yeah, Something you look like forward to. I'm like that guy that went to out the Rebbe to, to give a bracha that you should understand more. That's, that's another whole category of... Uh, you know, to sit and listen to you, it becomes very, very clear. But then, uh... Well, uh, that was an unusual event. In the whole history of Chabad, it probably happened once that we know of. Because the Alter Rebbe's approach usually is you have to work on your own. <coughs> um, but he was so sincere, and from that moment on, he would have like flashes of inspiration. And sometimes he would be in the post office, like going about his or business. Story. Yeah, sometimes he would go into the post office. And we could see a leper, he would go into the post office and he would start dancing. He says, because now he felt like a, an inspiration that came from heaven. And he would suddenly have clarity and a godly idea would suddenly like become so crystal clear to him and he gets so excited, he would take the he would take the, the postal worker and start dancing with him, you know, middle of the post office. He got so excited. But this was mitten because this was, this was a godly thing. But even Abikasil Lepler worked very hard. It says he didn't just take this inspiration. It says he worked very hard. He broke his head. He was the example. If there's a will, there's a way. Some of the greatest geniuses in history had actually very average minds. Second rate, a third rate, or even lower minds. But they had such a desire to learn that they would drill their brain and, and just knock their heads and study it again and again and again, stubbornly, refusing to budge until they got it, until they understood it. If they had to learn it 400 times, they were ready to learn it 400 times. Until they, they, they had such a deep desire to learn that they developed these powerful minds, first-rate minds. And Abikasil was one of such examples, because he had a very simple mind. 
And when it came to other, other parts of Torah, he had a very average mind. It came to Talmud or other areas in Torah. He had a very simple, third-rate understanding. But when it came to Hasidus, it says that the second Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe's son, the Mittler Rebbe, wrote the Imre Bina. The Imre Bina was the deepest book ever written on Hasidus. Who did he write it for? This Hasid, Rabbi Kisil Lepler, who had an average third-rate mind. But in Hasidus, he developed a first-class mind. Because he, he worked so hard. He broke his head. And he had such a desire to excel and to learn and to get it that he just, he just, he just, you know, it's like a person when you really, when something matters to you, you discover hidden strengths, that you, you, that you hidden resources that you had no idea even existed. So he discovered all these hidden abilities that the soul has to, to understand and he revealed all his hidden abilities and he developed a, a world-class mind. The deepest thinkers of Hasidus, one of the deepest, of the, deepest thinkers of Hasidus. the Rebbe Marash, the fourth Lubavitch Rebbe, said he once went in to ask some questions. And he couldn't even keep up with him. He was like, his mind was like on a different level. But how do we know this desire doesn't, isn't that extra thing we read about here that God gives us, not that we... No, yeah. no, this came from him. He, he just wanted to understand. It bothered him so much that he couldn't understand the Hasidic discourse. And he couldn't understand the concepts. He couldn't wrap his mind around it. And he couldn't comprehend them, truly comprehend them. And it bothered him that he, he just persisted and persisted. This is, this is, uh, this is what... That makes two of us, or maybe more. What? That makes two of us, or maybe more, that, that you can be bothered by that. Understanding. So if, it, so if it bothers you, and eventually you, you, you understand. If you live long enough. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.